0: Are you ready to embark on a cinematic journey into the world of innovation and exploration? Look no further than Arctic House, NYC's original home for digital art, where creativity has no limits and where your imagination will soar. Celebrating their fifth season in 2024, Arctic House NYC resides in a 150-year-old boiler room below Chelsea Market. And don't miss out on their XR bar, where you'll sip on curated, extended-reality-activated drinks as you take in the exhibition around you. Whether you're a technology enthusiast or an art lover, this is an experience you won't want to miss. Hurry, limited tickets are available. Go to artechhouse.com to reserve your spot. Artech House NYC, where art, science, and technology merge to create unforgettable cinematic experiences.
1: I'm Eileen Shaw. I am Executive Director of NYC by Design. And uh, NYC by Design is a city-generated organization. We're city-generated, and we are charged to organize, to galvanate, to gather, and to amplify the very broad... The universe, that's what we're charged for. Um, We have a very, very large and broad coalition of architects and designers here in New York City, the largest than anywhere in the world. And um, it's our job to uh, create the annual festival to amplify their voices and to give them platforms to talk about those things that architects and designers are addressing and working on and really care about in this world. I met Marjorie Guyon and Barry Burton in 2020. It was at the CODA Summit and, um, I was very, very touched by them and their work. The CODA Summit is the only conference that's focused on the way creative professionals are using art and technology to change the way we experience our environments. And I'd like to introduce you to Tony Sykes. She is the founder and the principal of CODA, CODA Works. Uh, the organizers of the summit, and it is a great summit. I was here, the project that Marjorie and uh, Barry were working on won the CODA award in 2020. And uh, I was uh, lucky to be a jury, uh, a juror on the jury. Um, And it was a very simple production. It was only sheer window coverings on rows of windows that surrounded a square in Lexington, Kentucky. and It was lit from inside so it glowed and it also was collaged with words and poetry. Their presentation at the summit was so powerful that I knew that I needed to bring it to New York City but how were we going to do it? Well, as of last week, October 12th through this week, NYC by Design is participating with the American Institute of Architects in what we call October. October is the month-long celebration of architecture, and um, we, are, we put installations out in the street that we call design pavilions. Uh, This year, our two design pavilions are in Meatpacking District, which brought us to uh, Arctic House. And Arctic House, thank you so much for having us here. Uh, It's really important for the community to come together and and allow uh, creatives to share their work and their voices. We appreciate it. Um, And we're, we're on Gansevoort Plaza. If you haven't seen it, please do. Tomorrow's the last day. I invited Marjorie and her team from I Was Here to be part of these installations, the Design Pavilion installations. And we went through so many iterations with Mark and Roy from uh, We Are Mad and Mad Labs. We talked about Times Square and we talked about uh, Union Square and Washington Square and it it took all kinds of uh, forms and physical forms. And then one day it occurred to me, where is the best place to put a piece of art that addresses slavery Then on the Freedom Tower on the World Trade Center? And Mark Domino of Spireworks and Durst organization, he made that possible for us. And so I was here, lives on the podium, of the World Trade Center now through the 22nd, and uh, you can see it there every night. So we're really th- very thrilled to present um, this important story about I Was Here to You Tonight through the NYC by Design Mike podcast, which is hosted by Debbie Millman. The mic has become a meaningful tradition for NYC by Design, and we're grateful for Debbie's engaging interviews. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie is a designer, an educator, an artist, an author, and she is also host of her own renowned podcast called Design Matters. So before we hand over the mic to Debbie, let's begin the program with a poem by Barry Burton, which is also part of I Was Here.
2: Thank you, Eileen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Barry Donnell Burton. It's a pleasure to be here, and I will recite one of the narratives that I have written for the I Was Here organization to go along with the ancestral portraits that we are planning to install across the country, if it be God's will. This particular narrative is called Make a wish on me, America. I'm a twinkling star. I never wanted to be a shooting star. I wanted to be a twinkling star. Why then a twinkling star? I've always been a, a twinkling star, something you can make a wish on. It was there last night. It was there tonight. It's the last star in the sky to give you enough light. To inspire your mind, a shooting star burns so brilliantly bright and streaks across the sky so fast, it draws everyone's attention, and then it's gone. Why would anyone want to be something that would shine so bright then burn out so quick I've always wanted to be a twinkling star I was here I'm always here I have been here since eternity and I will be here until eternity ends make a wish on me America I am a twinkling star You can make a wish on me, America. America, you tried to destroy the ground where I could grow and prosper and conjure on my own. I was here. Here I am out of nothing, conjured up out of nothing. I want the whole world to see my twinkling stars shining brighter than ever. Make a wish on me, America. Protect me from the evil that tries to extinguish my light. Sydney shine. America, you try to destroy the essence that make me who I am. But here I am, out of nothing. I was here. Make a wish on me, America. A twinkling star. Oh, thank you, thank you. Who do I give this mic to?
3: Hello, everyone.
0: I'm Debbie Millman, and I am going to conduct an interview now with Marjorie and Roy. Um, Just to give you a sense of the arc of the interview, I'll be talking first with Marjorie, probably 15 or 20 minutes and then I'm gonna move to Roy, talk a little bit about his origin story and some of his um, inspiration and his previous work. And then we're gonna have a conversation together. So we'll talk much, much more about their collaboration when we get to our threesome. Sounds kind of frisky. Um, Make sure this mic doesn't give me too much feedback. Um, It's really quite an interesting environment. I actually interviewed uh, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, Kip Thorne, like two hours ago. And I think this would have been a great environment to have done it in. He's the physicist that discovered gravitational waves. I feel like we're in the midst of what would happen right before seeing one. Okay, Marjorie. You're a native New Yorker, and I understand that one of your first experiences with art was in 1970, when you saw Romare Bearden's Patchwork Quilt, the 30-foot collage at MoMA. Um, How did it impact you?
3: So what Bearden does, the way that he brings together all these different elements, um, I just felt felt like I was her, which is a strange, it's like a, I had a shape-shifting experience. Mm, the first and of many. Basically, yes. That's like, if I could say I'm anything, it's that. But yes, and, um, I, and anyway, so the, yeah, that's what happened. Well, you've said you looked at it and there was absolutely no reason in the
0: world for you to see yourself in the construction, but you did it. Um, and you've said that living in New York at that time and constantly looking out of your window into other people's apartments inspired your vision of an African mother and child like mo- and that moved, and I'm quoting you now, like points of light from window to window.
3: Well, that is exactly what happened, except for that there's like 50 years of time in between those. So... I mean, one thing is, like, riding the subway and, and seeing all these people's lives go by. You know, as an artist, I'm a watcher. I see things. And, but the vision of the African mother and child, that came about in Lexington, Kentucky um, in 2016. So you've really had this sense of this project since you were little. In a weird way. Um, In a weird way, I probably have. Um, uh, It's hard to explain how all things happen, but...
0: Art is mysterious that way.
3: Life is mysterious that way. (laughs) Um,
0: One of the hallmarks of your work is that the image at once emerges from, yet disappears into what appears to be an ancient surface. How do you
3: create this type of imagery? Well, um, I'm a collage artist, and I'm not even really a painter, and um, what happened was I like to put things together that would not ordinarily go together to make a new whole, and what happened to me, you know, I did not go to art school. I'm, I'm trained as a poet, not as an artist, and I switched. But I got far enough into it that I realized I need to learn actually what paint is. And what I found was paint is pigment floated in a dispersion fluid. So I bought all these pigments, which is ground earth and ground stone. I started making my own paint and used marble dust. And what I wanted to do was to Like, throughout all my work, I want to make the most ancient places, like that which resides deep within us, um, that which, like, our elders would want us to carry through. So I've never been interested in what something is. I'm interested in the spirit it embodies.
0: Well, it's so interesting. In the way that you work with marble dust and pigment, I read that you call the way in which you create your pigment... Archaeology of the soul, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that means. Okay.
3: No, <laughs> I, uh, that's a great question. I wish I had time to think about it, but I would say that that there are elements that w- within all of us, they're all the same elements, and they're the elements from like the earliest people that the archaeology of the soul what are the building blocks we want to be loved we want to be seen we want to be safe we want to know that that we have presence. So I mean this is exactly the feeling that we give to our kids and and these are the I think these are the universal hopes and so like throughout the years when I was making art, you know art art, it was to create these ancient... I call them pages from an ancient book.
0: You don't consider your work, this work, art, art?
3: Well, I I do in a weird way, although I'll tell you that I don't think of this project as an art project. I think of it as a spirit project. But, you know, just um, like shop talk, making art is handwork. Um... And it's also, like, it's hand and eye work. And this project, I, I'm... See, here's a weird thing, is that I grew up in New York. I studied dance. I studied figure drawing. I mean, I'm an art kid. And I spent years being, like, an artist when really my mind is not 100% on 2D. Uh, so this project is, like... It's a synthesis of the arts. But um, I'm using my mind, not my hand anymore. Although to make the original portraits was handwork. and There's something very satisfying about that. But it it is art.
0: It also feels very much like visual poetry. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about the way you integrate typography and messaging with the visuals.
3: Well, I love language, and I, I think that when you have a word in a piece, it can, you know, you never want to tell somebody, this is what I want you to think, or this is what I want you to see, but you can hint to them, go this way, go that way. And that's what it, in bringing language into pieces can do. Talk about collage. How do you define collage? <clears throat> well, Bearden, right? So um, this patchwork quilt, it was an African woman, Euro- uh, Egyptian profile on a patchwork quilt from the American South. So what was he doing? He's putting all these pieces together. That's basically what I'd say collage is. I mean, I'm not a recipe follower like Um, I'm a great baker, but I never know exactly what will go where. But i That's
0: great that you're great at it. I'm not a recipe follower either, and I can't even make chocolate chip cookies. Well,
3: I can't bake it. From like one of those tube things. (laughs) It's handwork, you know. (laughs) But collage is synthesis, and that's basically not what we're talking about yet, but that's what this project is is synthesis, bringing together things that would not ordinarily come together. And see, I've had so much basic training in that, that when the idea for this project finally appeared, it was like, I can do that.
0: Well, talk about the origins of this idea and this body of work.
3: Well, this is what happened. Uh, It was the night that... um, Trump was elected, and I was on the phone with my daughter, and she was clerking for a Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals judge in Nashville, and she was afraid. And I said, don't worry about it. Um, Ed Randell says Pennsylvania is going for Hillary. Okay, I stayed on the phone with her, like, till 2 in the morning when it became clear, and... One of the jobs as a parent is I'm going to try and make this world safe for you. So that was on my mind. Very next day, the daughter of another mother came to my studio and she said exactly the same thing that my own kid had said. And I said, don't be afraid. And she said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to do something to shift the spirit of the country. So anyway, I... She came back and I was looking out the window and all of a sudden I just saw as clear as day an African mother and child and move from window to window like points of light. I turned around and I said, you're not going to believe what I saw. And she said, let's do it. And that's how the project began.
0: Why the title I Was Here?
3: <clears throat> well, it's because I was talking on the phone with a poet that was involved in the project and she was like, Marjorie we need a title for this and I was looking out the window and I said I was here because I looked out that window. It's not about me but that idea of it's so simple. I was here when you, I mean when we get into talking about the ideas of the project um, I was here makes all the sense in the world but I I was at the same, basically, station that I had been at for 25 years, and I was just like, I was here. And she went, that sounds good. For those in the audience or those
0: listening that might not be familiar with
3: the project itself, can you describe it a little bit? <clears throat> well, the the project is a set, of 21 ancestor spirit portraits that feature contemporary African-Americans that are standing in the gap to represent their ancestors. That's, that's basically what it is.
0: Now, the project has been described as one that hopes to mend the brokenness in our understanding of what citizenship is. How does this project help to do that?
3: Well, remember, I've spent my life in art. So I believe in the actual muscular power of what art can do because it changed my life. And I think it can change anyone's life um, or at least a portion of people. So the idea is for this set of spirit portraits to become like, if I said to you, Coca-Cola, you would already immediately think of a red and white can. So the idea is to insinuate the, uh, these portraits of a people, powerful, holy, dignified, and beautiful. And to have those, and to have these images appear, like if you go into any significant building, you're gonna find a portrait of the founder when you think about the role that Africans played in the founding of the country, they are co-founders of the country. So, in, anyway.
0: The figures in the work, some of which we're seeing here, represent what you've referred to as ancestral spirits. So the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, who have been erased from history. How have they been erased?
3: Well, you have to remember that people were taken from their land, brought here. Their language was taken from them. Their family ties were taken from them. And um, that's already an erasure.
0: Would you say that this is a project about enslaved people or citizenship or both?
3: Well, this is my thesis on it that, in, you know, you have one chance to make a first impression. And you, you really, it's very hard to re or undo that once you've done it. And um, the first impression that Europeans had of Africans somehow was, it was not correct. And, but this is not about slavery. This is about this, an ideal for humanity. And, like, we don't have slavery anymore, but we still have a citizenship that is broken and continues to be broken. You see it every day. How did the project
0: evolve to become multimedia?
3: Well... (laughs) Well, um, something amazing happened. First, it started with portraits, and then integrated language and latitude and longitude from around the world to talk about this. Really, is a, a global idea. But what happened was, was um, Tony Sykes and Mark Aptakin called us and said that they were starting to create NFTs, which is how I met this guy. And um, that's that's how it became multimedia because the idea of it is to animate monuments is just incredible. I was so excited by it. This work now
0: has been mounted in the Octagon Museum in Washington, D.C., the Lexington Legends Ballpark, the Dyckman Farmhouse Museum in New York, the Muhammad Ali Center in Louisville, and now it is on the One World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower in New York. How was it able to come to One Tra- World Trade Center? Well, that's
3: Eileen. Eileen.
0: Um, Eileen Shaw. Yes,
3: 100%.
0: You've said that you believe that art has the power to change the energy in a space. With this now being projected on in yeah. New York, a place that was once home to the selling of enslaved people, how do you see this potentially transforming the ancestral space of the city?
3: Well, one thing just as a point of fact is that um, because we're on all four sides of the podium. There are spirit portraits, Spirit. there are spirits looking out onto the intersection of Wall Street and the East River, which was the second largest auction site for enslaved people in the entire country. And how to answer your question, I really don't know. Um, because there are things, it's like when you think about how this project started, I did not know what would happen. Every single part of this has happened. And so, I would almost say, like, as if there's another hand that's making it happen. But we all know, like, if you're in a room with someone that's beautiful, it affects you. Like, you hear something that's beautiful, it affects you. How does that change your spirit? I, I'm not sure how to describe that. But I believe, really, that this project is calling forward the ancestors. And, like, what what form i mean in a way when you consider everything that has happened with this project i know it's not my hand and i i mean all these hands that have that have helped it i mean the world trade tower but when you even think about that site that is the site of america's wound but this idea is basically what we did to us The World Trade Tower is what they did to us. So I mean, to just even be there, and and also that the building is called World Trade. That's what we're talking about. You you couldn't make it work that way. Yeah.
0: Talk about how you met the gentleman sitting next to you, Roy Huitzel.
3: Well, hello. Um, (laughs) So um, Tony introduced me to Mark and Roy. And they invited us to come down to Florida. And I was like, how will I ever describe this project to, to Roy? And I said, it's kind of like the um, aboriginals, like the dream time, the time before time. And I thought he would just like, what does that mean? And he said, I spent a year... I thought you said living with the Aboriginals, but um, he said working with them. So once again, like, it was perfectly set up. Roy, you are renowned for
0: your pioneering work in the disciplines of design, user experience, customer experience design, human-centered design solutions. But I read that your primary focus is educating people on how design can positively transform businesses in everyday lives. And I'm wondering if you can talk about why that is your primary focus.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it just goes back to kind of what we've been talking about. It's, you know, I'm a huge fan of story. Uh, telling and describing and imagery and all of that type of stuff. And I think the world ends up being a much better place when we go back to that stuff Mm. um, rather than, obviously, what's been going on in the world of late. So but for for me, it's just... I I think humans have a real uh, instinct for imagery. I think it's been around, obviously, a lot longer than language. And I think if we can get back to some of that and use that to tell uh, a better story, something like this, which is fairly complicated... Um, but do it through through art, which every human understands, because it's visual. Um, I, I, and I think, and then we apply the same basics to businesses and clients and other artists. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just it's a very natural way of being able to talk to every human on the planet because every human understands it in their own way.
0: You went to college at the university at Central Lancashire in Northwest England. Is that where you grew up?
4: <laughs> no, no, not at all. My 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 grew up story, I grew up in the Air Force and my whole family are in the military, so I grew up all over the world. I think I've lived in 17 different countries to date. You were also
0: um, in the Air Force, is that not right? I,
4: yeah, I, I wanted to go to art school. It was the only thing I was good at at school. Um, and I fell through the system because I changed school every year um, and I'm dyslexic, so that was a great time. Um, but, yeah, and then uh, is, I guess it was... A, a family thing to, I, my father marched me down and I, and I joined the Air Force um, for four years. So yeah, that's, that's how my life started at the age of 16. So I was very young.
0: How did you make that transition to art and design and advertising?
4: I, I, I kept drawing and I kept painting. So um, if you're on a, like an Air Force base and somebody gets posted somewhere else, um, I was the guy that used to do big portraits of the entire crew and and everybody and caricatures and all all of that type of stuff and I I just kept painting it's something that I think I was born to to kind of do I have I take very little credit for what I do because it comes very it's very natural (laughs) It's, it's hard it's almost hard to explain it um and then yeah then when I was in the forces you in the British military you you normally do a basic of four years and then you you sign up pretty much for the rest of your life and uh my squadron leader knew I used to paint a lot and I, and I walked into his office and I was about to sign a piece of paper and he pulled it away and he said, I think you should go to art school. And I was I was totally flattened by it. as I was like, what? I'm, I'm an Air Force kid. I'm like, and so, and then we sat down and he convinced me. It took about an hour and he went, we'll send you to art school. And uh, that, yeah, that's how my, my life...
0: Changed your life.
4: Literally changed my life, Yeah.
0: Your first jobs were at advertising agencies. What made you decide to move into interactive and digital design and ultimately open your own shop?
4: Yeah, I I actually set up a company in my second year um, college um, by accident. Um, And then this was in the mid, like, 96.
0: Yeah, it was really early to be doing interactive and and digital work.
4: I I, I actually, um, I I went to university to study fine art um, Painting, which is what I was trained for, um, and then in the in the building there was this really old cupboard which had a like a really old school VHS animation kind of kit, and no, I, I kind of don't think anybody used it from since the 70s. And I just I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is a crazy. You can do a drawing and take a snap of it, and do another drawing and take a snap of it, and then when you play it together, it moves. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> so I've, I spent many an hour in. In that room, uh, painting and then doing lots of animation stuff just at night time. It just, I don't know, it just captured something.
0: The interactive work you do seems to have a common denominator. I was looking at the body of your work. It seems like it's all a vehicle for storytelling. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how the technology that you engage in can elevate storytelling or even the story itself.
4: Yeah, I think it's obviously we it's it's a lot easier now I think because we're all living in a time where most of us here grew up with a TV screen. Um, now we have phones and there's cinema and there's billboards everywhere. So um, for me, it was just very um, obvious for me to move into that area because that's where the world was going. And I'm a I'm a bit of a major geek when it comes to technology. Um, I, I just like to be at the forefront and try and ex- experiment. Um, it's it's like a new way of painting. Um, but with a, a lot more options, um, and it's it's fascinating. All the stuff that I learned to be a fine artist and all that stuff translates to a lot of stuff that I do with animation, with balance and rhythm and things. So it's just basically creating a painting, but it moves. Is is how I look at it, um, and that's kind of I don't know. It just it just really suits me with with how I like. And I'm very experimental. I like to ec- explore like a lot, um, and. There's just yeah, you know, there's just way too many tools out there, but i I don't sleep that much, so I get to play around with most of them
0: how do you how, how many hours a night do you sleep? Uh, two what? Yeah, that's it. It's,
4: it's all I need apparently.
0: <laughs> so what time do you go to sleep?
4: Um, I go to sleep around two o'clock and I wake up at four.
0: Wow i'm'm I'm, I'm shocked i I'm the opposite. I need like 10 hours of sleep. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Much like my wife, um, yes, yes,
0: I read that you try to avoid animating without a reason and And I'm wondering if you can talk about that and then maybe share what you believe the real purpose of animation is, if not to avoid animating without a reason.
4: Yeah, I think with the, with the current world with technology and AI and all of that kind of stuff, I think if you're just doing something for the sake of doing it, I, I kind of, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, I, 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 I have to have a reason to do something um, and then I can get energized by it and I get passionate about it. Um, and, and then you go on that journey, which is obviously how to tell a story. Um, without those things, it's just noise it's just, you know, it it's doesn't mean anything, so then if somebody comes and asks you to explain it, you're like, well there's a plugin on After Effects that I use and that's how I did it, you know that's that's not really um, my type of work, I, I, I really and I've, I've worked on projects where I actually stopped because it was like, it was turning into something else, which is quite easy to do these days if you've played around with a lot of tools, so yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know, I, I always go back to if somebody if somebody looks at something, I, I want them to take something away. It's a very personal thing, obviously. Um, but I grew up in Malta as a kid, and there's a lot of cave walls there. And um, as a child, I was fascinated by these drawings that were there for thousands and thousands of, of years. So I I always explain to people, I'm just doing the same thing, it just moves and it's on a screen. <laughs> But it, for me, it's a cave wall. And, and the, the, the reason for both of those things to exist is exactly the same reason, it's storytelling. Yeah.
0: You're both artists. Whether you're both artistes or artists, you're still making art. Sure. What is it like to collaborate with someone else that's an artist when you are also an artist? I'm wondering if you can both talk about that.
3: Trust is really everything trust to me and also a lack of ego this project has it's this project has no names associated with it because it's talking about people whose names were taken from them and so i'm screening for character basically and that one sentence about the dream time i knew if you knew about that and just just now what you were just talking about, about the caves of Malta. I mean, I felt like you had it and there would be no, you had, you understood what it had to be. And like, I knew that you were good at what you did. And I knew that I was good at what I did and I trusted you that that was it. I mean, we didn't, like, talk and talk and talk. I remember when you sent the first NFT, the animated portrait, and I was like, oh, God, please let me love it. Right? I was. I sat on the couch, and I was like, this is the moment. This is the moment. And I looked at it, and I started to cry because it was gorgeous, and it was right, and that was it.
0: What, so what was, what was it like for you when Marjorie first came to you with this idea? She said that she was expecting you to be like, huh? And you weren't. So talk about that first impression and what you were hoping you might be able to do together.
4: I, I got a chance to obviously look at her work before she came into the building, which, which, which helped. And I, I don't know, I just instantly understood it. Um, I, can, I, I knew what she was trying to say. Um, It's obviously a very powerful story. Uh, And as Marjorie mentioned earlier, I'd spent uh, a year working with an Aboriginal tribe in Australia. And it's a very, very similar setup, obviously. Um, But yeah, it was just... And then when she came down and we just hit it off, it was really weird. It was just kind of... We just sat down. We were in a meeting room, but then it just ended up being just us two, and we just talked for ages. Um, We pretty much established most of... the idea in in one day um just just to, and it's just that's why it's really that's why i love working with other artists you know and then from from that point it's you then have to be very careful that it's it's that challenge which i love when you're trying to animate somebody else's work and it still has to look like their work not like yours and i think that's that that can happen very very easily where you kind of take over and start applying your own style um, so it was, it, was, it was nice to actually um, look at her work and understand it. You know, and as we just talked earlier, obviously Marjorie's only been using Photoshop for a very short amount of time, but I've been using it for many, many years. So I, I understood how she was doing it and how she was setting it up. So that, that kind of helped also.
0: So Marjorie, you, had the fo- you did the photographs first.
3: Well, this is what happened uh, with the mother and child. Um, which is how the project began, I took those photos with my cell phone. So that's that's how it started. And um, and then quickly realized that it should be family. And so a wonderful photographer, Patrick Mitchell, um, he took the, the base images, and then I did what I do on top of them, which is what the I collage, do yeah. painting yeah. And writing this over this over this over this right
0: and what was your thinking at the time did you have an a vision of this being animated or did you think they were going to be still images <clears throat>
3: I, I did not have an idea that they would be animated. What I knew was that they needed to be in public space because I had spent so many years in what I'll call gated space, university, gallery, museum, and I just thought this needs to be in spaces where regular people can see it every day and it becomes a touchstone. So, But figuring out how to... Remember, this is a guerrilla project. There was no funding for it. There was no commission that appointed it. But when you live a life as an artist, you basically go like, no, this is the way it has to go, and then somehow you do it. And that's the way this started. So figuring out how to even... How do you make this public was... And this guy was a big part of that. Barry. Yes. So... um, we had to figure out, finally came to the idea of reproductions on translucent fabric that could be installed in windows and that they should be installed surrounding this courthouse square. And talk about the
0: people that you photographed. How did you find them? And also, I'd really love to know about how you art directed their stance. Because there is a very powerful stance in these photos.
3: Well, um, the mother and child appeared. I mean, um, they were sent. Um, And what happened was I talked with Patrick Mitchell, and he said, who do you want for these people? And I said, power, beauty, dignity, and grace. I'll know it when I see it. And so he and I went to Walmart and walked around and looked at people. And um, I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, but he has a lot of Facebook friends. And we just started going through pictures and we had auditions in my studio. And um, that's how we
0: found them. And as I mentioned, this stance very powerful, very direct feels ever so slightly confrontive. Can you talk about that?
3: Well, the idea was that you are both yourself and those who have come before you. And when when you're standing here and you're, what would my great-great-grandfather want for me? What is it that I would want to say with my body, with my eyes? So they were asked to make the jump.
0: And you have both still photography as well as video. Well, can you talk a little bit about the decisions? To, did you use both?
4: Uh, yeah. Um, for the uh, project on the World Trade Center, we um, the original I- idea, which um, was part of the NFT project we did a year and a half ago now, um, we... Uh, as you mentioned, the characters in each of the shots are very powerful, um, and the, the idea came from the fact that we wanted to take something from the past and bring it into the present, um, and that's obviously by time. And the way we could represent that by have each person walk from the distance and walk up to the camera and then present themselves. Um, and we felt that that really suited the whole um, style of what Marjorie was actually uh, going with with her still stuff. Um, and that's that's kind of how it started. It, it almost kind of it, it became very easy, very quickly once we kind of established this was trying to identify people from the past who existed, who have played a, a very important role, especially in this country, um, and then just allowing them that opportunity to walk forward and be seen. Um, and and as Margie's saying, to not just represent themselves but to represent every everybody that's been passed over the last few hundred years so that's kind of we thought we can only really achieve that by having them filmed walking up to the camera so that's that's how that started
0: marjorie's work is layered it has the collage how were you able to create (laughs) that style in Um, the moving images
4: um it's kind of uncanny Yes, as I mentioned earlier, Mindree's new to Photoshop. Um, so when she sent me all of her files, and I thought, oh, this is really exciting, because she's got Photoshop files and th- they normally come in layers, um, hers didn't. Uh, they were all flat. Um, so I spent many a day. Um, luckily, I can paint, so I had to reverse engineer th- these ones. I think that ended up being about 42 layers that I had to draw um, from, from just the actual image, because um, I wanted to animate every aspect of it. Um, and that's, that, that's how that started. And then the whole fragmented thing came about because we wanted to tell a story that is fragmented. It is, you know, it's not, a, it's not very clear. Um, people tr- you know, some people want to talk about it, some people don't. So that's kind of where, where that styling started.
0: What is your ultimate hope for this project?
4: That's a you question.
3: <laughs> well, uh, my ultimate hope is that it shifts the spirit of the country. And that when I say, like, mom and apple pie, you see that these images are, we create one citizenship, is what my hope is for the project. And that we do it through this muscular power of art.
0: Have you seen an impact? Have you seen how it affects people?
3: Yes. Um, but remember, it's a public project. And so, I mean, the great thing, we're working with Dykman Farmhouse, and they can be docents for an on-the-street museum is very hard to, like, gather data on what that means um, and, and the effect that it's had on people. But anecdotally, I was walking down the street in Lexington, and this woman came up to me, and I was carrying an angel, actually, for some reason, um, a painting, okay? If it were anybody but you, Marjorie, I wouldn't believe it, but it's you. That's what was so ridiculous, and she said, I love that so much, and um, I said, well, this was back years ago, I said, well, my studio is up here, I'll give you my card. Well, on my card is one of the portraits, And she went, do you have anything to do with this? And I said, yeah, I'm involved in it. And um, she said every every weekend through COVID, she and her husband and her family came down to look at the portraits, and she said it was what made them feel safe. So, but in a strange way, I think we can judge the effect of it by what's happening with it. And
0: what do you see that...
3: Well, we're on the World Trade Tower. Too. You know, I mean, well, and we didn't, we didn't actually ask for it. That's, you see, it's like there's ways that you can try and make things happen, and like you, you know. Well, if I pull that, that will happen. None of this project has worked that way. All of it has been, honestly, like a miraculous accident from the start. What do you see the
0: role of public art being now? I'd love to know that from both of you, what do you see as sort of the criteria that public art maybe should have or could have?
4: Um, it's in the public for a start, um, which is where I think most art should be. Um, it needs to engage with people. Um, not that I'm against you know museums and things like that, but I think, um, Allowing art to be approachable by anybody, um, for 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 me personally, is something that I think um, you can only do with public art, um, and it, obviously then on top of that, it does help if you're actually on the side of a building and on a on a large scale, right? So that's yeah, you know, that's why it's been a very fascinating few few weeks. But yeah, for me, it's very simple. It just you get to. Allow people who ordinarily wouldn't look at art and and it's right in front of you, and then you get to look at it and you get to interpret it. These days, you get to take photographs of it and post it and comment on it. Um, That, that for me personally, is uh, the power of public art.
3: And I, um, my mom stopped taking us, stopped taking me to museums after she had my sister and then my brother. But I got to have that experience where I've, my, I just felt my being was changed. And so I think for kids, I mean, that being able to be rooted in something that's bigger than you, and um, it, it was foundational for me. And I would love that in neighborhoods across the country for images for the project to be able to be seen and it becomes a touchstone. I mean, if you have a painting, you know, it's like loving a song when you hear it, I have to play it and play it and play it. And that's what I think the role of public art is, it becomes a friend that you never thought you would have. Yeah.
0: And I think it can also change your DNA in a lot of ways and maybe also be a gateway to healing. Um, I have one last question. Do you have any other collaborative projects in your future together?
4: <laughs> yes, is 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 the short answer. Yeah, we we're already working on a few things. We've just finished doing an app for the Dijkman, um farmhouse here in New York. But yeah, it's uh, you know it's it, the good thing about storytelling is it, it involves like. A journey, and, and, and we're on one, and it's, you know, where it ends up, we don't know, and I think that's, that's a magical side. It's kind of, you know, um, and obviously, I get the luxury of working with lots of different types of artists from all over the world, and uh, Marjorie's one of them.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to get to know this project, to get to know both of you in my research, And I want to thank you for making such beautiful and important work. Thank you. Thank you. Marjorie Geisen, Roy Hustel, and now Barry is going to come back and read again. Come on back, Barry.
2: Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I've been put on the spot. I don't mind. It's a continuing thing in my life since I've been a part of I Was Here Project. Uh, They asked me to pick out a certain part of the opening ceremony prayer that I wrote when the project first started. And uh, as Marjorie said, I have to reiterate, this is a spirit project. This is a project that we hope that will touch and prick the hearts of America and that each and every person will understand the wound that slavery left behind. Though we do not have a slave trade in America today, there are still thousands of people that are being traded. There are still people coming up missing in our world today that should not be, that are being traded for commodities, work, sex slaves. It's all the same. time, and when we, until we get our humanity and stop turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to this type of thing in the world, it will continue. And it is up to us, good people, that we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear that's saying that it's okay. So when we see these atrocities taking place, it's up to us to say, hey, we all must do something to change the way we see each other in the world. This is the part that I chose from our ceremony prayer that we use the name of the prayer is Where Do I Begin. Today, we stand as one and give thanks and bless this land that has not blessed us. The spirit of my ancestors visit me every night, and they whisper in my ear. I'm standing on their shoulders. for well, the challenge to overcome the chains of the past does a challenge to sanctify my manhood, my identity, my humanity. They are here and I am here. And when the two connect, the spirit takes flight. The California wildfires has nothing on the ancestral spirits. For it is only by knowing that the cattle on a thousand fields belong to my father. That means they also belong to me. Not only have I been promised this, I claim it. I'm calling your name. I have not yet seen where it ends. I'm just a man. What God has made me is what I am. Battered and bruised, but never broken. Jesus and his crown of thorns. brother the sins of man, I am calling your name. Amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thank you.
1: Well, that's our program for the evening. I thank you all for coming. Um, I know you'll agree that this was very special and the towers are very special also. So we invite you to come down with us. We have around 24 seats in a van that are going down to the World Trade Center right now, but we do invite you to meet us there and, uh, and see the actual work. I was here on the podium, on One World Trade. And thank you again. And try to get to the meatpacking Gansevoort Plaza before it closes tomorrow. Bamboo cloud is very beautiful. Thank
3: you.